Hi, this is Alex Bellinger, and this is Small Biz Pod on Tuesday, November the 1st. Well, as the podcast brothers would say, I'm back. Uh, after a prolonged break, I had a few weeks off in France, as you'll know from my website. Uh, not eight weeks or two months, I can assure you, but a few. And then Podcast Con caught up with me, and there was a lot to do there. Very, very exciting event. Went off really, really well, and about 130 people attended and really, really enjoyed themselves. And then I've been really stuck into um, a lot of work, including um, some podcasts for uh, businesses, which has been very interesting and exciting to do. So a lot been going on. So for my regular Small Biz Pod listeners, if any of you are still listening, thank you very much for your patience. And I have got myself sorted out. I've rescheduled things and there'll be regular Small Biz Pods coming your way from now on. So I've also got coming up in today's show uh, a number of comments to catch up on. I've got the usual roundup of news, views and opinion from the round the world of small business and enterprise. And last but not least, I've got a, an interview this week with uh, David Heiner, who is a uh, management and life coach, uh, talking about how he uh, set up uh, his business and a little bit about what he does. And the interesting thing about this particular interview is it's from our first uh, roving reporter, who is uh, Carl Barton, who currently works for healthradio.org.uk, but who was you know, a big fan of, of Small Biz Pod, and just thought, well, maybe I can do some interviews for the show, which is absolutely brilliant. So that'll be the first uh, sort of roving reporter, correspondent, small biz pod correspondent out there on the streets of the UK interviewing small business people or people from with an enterprise background who've got something interesting, an interesting story to tell. So I think that's a, a genuinely exciting development for, for small biz pod. And if there are any listeners out there who fancy a, a stab at, at doing their own interviews with a, a, a local key figure in, in enterprise or a, or a business owner that, that you uh, respect or thinks got an interesting um, and inspirational story to tell, do let me know because it would be, be great to have uh, a regular flow of correspondence. Um, if you don't want to go to that much trouble, um, that's fine. Um, I'm, of course, going to be interviewing people regularly as per usual. And uh, I've got a, a show lined up for next week already under my belt with some interesting interviews on the issue of mobility in the workplace. Um, but if you'd want to send in comments, um, if you're still listening out there, please do send in comments. Uh, you can do that by emailing alex at smallbizpod.co.uk, uh, leaving a comment on the Small Biz Pod blog, or um, if you'd like, do send in uh, a, a voicemail uh, or an uh, audio comment. Um, always like to, to play those on the show too, so uh, plenty of ways to keep in touch and very much interested in... The Small Biz Pod being a listener-driven show, being a show that uh, responds to what you want to, to, to hear, uh, and also uh, sort of participatory. If you want to participate in the show, please feel free. It'd be, be great to have um, your views and your opinions uh, covered as well. Okay, so now on to uh, some comments that have been uh, emailed into me and that have been left on the Small Biz Pod blog. Uh, a number saying, where the bloody hell are you, which is fair enough, um, but encouraging me to return, which of course I've done. So 
Uh, thanks to uh, Richard Harrison, who left a comment on the blog, and also to Mike Sharp, and also to Chris Ritka from 49 Media, who uh, I met at PodcastCon UK, and uh, who hopefully will hook up to, to do an interview with at some point in the future. Uh, I think he wanted to uh, have a chat with me about how PodcastCon went. Uh, it's a little bit in the distance now, but uh, we will see what we can do about that one too. Um, also, um, some months ago, uh, August, in fact, I had a, a, a great email from um, David Fuhrer, who says, uh, I thoroughly enjoy your podcasts. Uh, the format you've developed results in a wonderful flow and a consistently top-notch listener experience. Uh, while that alone would keep me coming back, it's the quality of your guests and the comfortable, smooth interview style between you and them that interests me most. Well, it's always uh, nice to be described as comfortable and smooth. Thanks, David, for that. Uh, to let you into a few secrets, uh, in essence, I do quite a lot of preparation. I suppose it's the preparation which is key to doing a, a successful podcast, in my uh, opinion. And as far as guests are concerned, I may occasionally send across a, a, an outline of the types of um, questions that I may ask. But in essence, I like to keep it conversational. It isn't a sort of standard new style broadcast uh, interview. It's not a question of, here are the questions, I need a succinct answer. I much prefer to, to have a conversation with people. And I think that's what podcasting is primarily about. It's about conversations. And although some broadcasters will say, well, you let them waffle on too long. Uh, I think it's important because you can extract some quite interesting details by having a slightly longer uh, flow of conversation than you might otherwise do if it was a kind of question-answer, question-answer um, session. So uh, I will respond, David, to your email in a little bit more detail and uh, hope to see you podcasting at some point in the future too. And now one last uh, piece of thanks. Thanks to Adriana Cronin-Lucas, who you will remember I interviewed on an early edition of Small Biz Pod about blogging. Uh, she very kindly, together with the website if at if.psfk.com, uh, did a, a really quite interesting review of Small Biz Pod. Great feedback, which was, you know, it's always nice to read, but also some constructive criticism about the, the length of the show, which uh, I've taken a look at, and I am going to try and keep each Small Biz Pod from now on uh, just under 30 minutes. Uh, when I have a, a lot of interviews in place, it sometimes stretches to sort of 40, 45. But the, the aim from now on is going to be to keep it around the 30-minute mark because I think that's likely to be the best amount of time that, that I can expect you guys out there listening to devote to the podcast. So that's the plan. Uh, we'll see how uh, well I keep to it. And now let's move on to our interview with David Heiner, which is an innovative uh, research-based training company for UK businesses and individuals uh, aimed really at trying to motivate and provide the inspiration and uh, confidence for people to go out there and achieve their goals. So David has quite an interesting story to tell and Carl Barton, Small Biz Pod correspondent, went to see him. Over to Carl. Joining us today is David Heiner, a remarkable person who runs a company called Stretch Development, speaks on motivation and also personal growth and achievement. It hasn't always been this way for you, has it, David? You did start with a, a normal school in a normal life, a normal job. So how did you transform yourself into the person that you are today? Well, yeah, thank you very much for indeed for inviting me for today. The thing that happened to me was one day I woke up and realised that I was living my life 
determined by what others told me I was capable of. It was the same in school, the same in college, the same in my first job. One day when I, through various means, either listening to speakers, reading books, a lot of soul-searching in myself, I started to determine that actually I was responsible for what I got in life, not what other people told me I was capable of achieving. So it was that instant for yourself then to actually make the decision to change your life. Did that change also lead you to want to train and get that message across? Or was it first of all like insular to sort your own life and dreams and aspirations out before you built the company that you've got today? I'd like to say it was instant. No, it was far from instant. I, like most people, went through a very, very long and painful and at times very steep and jagged learning curve. I managed to get masses of information to assure me that if I did things differently, I would get better results. But it probably took the best part of eight or nine years of looking into this for me to convince myself that I have to change and take action. So was it quite difficult to make the change from working what would be classed in society, I suppose, as a normal nine-to-five job, to actually make the switch into researching and developing knowledge of what makes people tick and how they achieve I know that you've met several hundred different people throughout your sort of nine or ten years experience of getting their stories. So how did that actually start and how did you replace your business that you had and convert it into meeting these people that you've met? Because, I mean, you've met some really famous names along the way as well. So I've been very lucky, yes. I've managed to interview over the last nine years to date, in 2005 at the moment, In my spare time, I've interviewed scientists, inventors, entrepreneurs, captains of industry, stars of sport, explorers, people who, perhaps many of which are household names and certainly world-renowned in their field. And then there are other people whom you may never have heard of. But if I was to tell you what they've done, what they've achieved, where they came from, and what they've overcome to achieve, I would defy anybody not to be in awe. And it wasn't the tipping point that was... I decided I could achieve things. I think the tipping point was that after interviewing so many of these supposedly top achievers, the tipping point for me was that they are not superhuman. They are just ordinary people who happen to think and behave differently. Is it a common thread throughout their thought processes that some of them are similar? Is that what the research is doing, trying to narrow it down to a certain set of rules that these people live by to get these extraordinary results? You're absolutely right, yes. What we've done is disseminate and distill from this research, this bank of information that we've got, all the common threads in different soft skill areas. By soft skill, I mean ways of thinking and behaving, emotional intelligence, ways of applying your own thought processes and day-to-day actions that can render you highly effective. At some point throughout the research, was there any, I suppose there have been several times where you sat there in front of somebody who perhaps five years ago previously you'd seen on television or picking up some sporting award or yeah. some achievement and you're thinking, how the hell did I get here? <laughs> and, and what do I ask them? I mean, was there any real research and structure into the questions prior to them being asked? Because I take it to get a, a representation across. I have answered stock standard questions across that you generated. I do have a, a stock questionnaire that I ask most of those questions of every single person. I have to be honest, it was not a clinical piece of research and is not a clinical piece of research because for the first two or three years, my interviews were not with any intent whatsoever designed to then create a book, create training models, go out and share it with other people. It was purely for my own interest to determine how I could be more effective in my catering, as it was then, business. What is the most interesting thing that you've ever heard 
oh, as wow. regards to these. I mean, I mean, you must have some <laughs> remarkable stories for actual people and actually trying to get those. I mean, how do you get somebody who's, say, a famous sports person in front of you in the first place to go and interview these people? It sounds that's, quite a remarkable achievement in itself just to do that. That's a great question. And there's a story behind that. When I started first asking a question of one of my then customers who had travelled down from Sheffield to the West Midlands with £12 in his pocket and a suitcase of clothes only, that's all he had, and about seven years later had five publicly floated companies, who was an extremely wealthy man. In my catering business, I went to speak to him every year because every year he had a party. And at this particular party, this shows how wealthy he was, he decided to build a snook room on the side of his house so that his party could have a snooker theme. After we finished this meeting with this client, I got to know him very well. I said, come on, Phil, tell me, how come you are so much more effective than everybody else around you? What is it you do? And over the next half an hour, what he told me was the difference between the way I'd thought and behaved previously and the way I've thought and behaved for the last nine years. What he told me made me think two things. One... If it's that easy, there must be a catch. And two, he must be just a freak, a one-off, a unique person. You know, we like to put top achievers up on a pedestal and say, oh, you're great, you're worthy, you must be talented, you must be clever, you must be rich, you must be there. And it's all assumptions. And in life, we, we, we make so many important decisions based upon assumptions instead of fact and truth. So one of the best questions anybody can ask themselves whenever they doubt themselves is, do I know that to be true? Because from that first interview, I said to him at the end, I said, oh, I'd love to find out if other top achievers think and behave the way you do. And he says, well, why don't you find out? I said, well, I'm a chef, I'm a caterer, an event organiser. I'm not a researcher, I'm not a journalist. People would laugh at me. He says, well, somebody must have done some research similar. So I left that meeting and I went back to my office. Over the next, I would say, three, three and a half months, my secretary and myself, we spent so many hours trawling research libraries, uh, websites, going and telephoning and meeting people from all sorts of institutions and organisations connected with business, commerce, sport, trying to find out if anybody had done any great wealth, a massive bank of credible research into how people think and behave more effectively than others. In all that time, we and to date, we've only found two other examples of such research with such depth in terms of numbers of people that research and also the quality of the research. The first one being the work of Napoleon Hill done at the turn of the last century in the United States. And secondly, a very scientific and analytical approach to achievement, which is neurolinguistics, or NLP as it's more commonly known. Now, I'm not a scientific bunny at all. I'm, I'm not really a left-brain person. I'm far more of a, I want to hear it, apply it, see if it works, do it. I'm very hands-on, very kinesthetic in that way. So NLP didn't really appeal to me. They looked into the work of Napoleon Hill and thought, that's great, got something out of that. But it was, A, based upon American studies, and B, from the turn of the last century. Surely things have changed. So, in my spare time, I then started to interview top achievers. I wrote off in the first place well over 400 letters to people that I perceived to be very successful. I got three letters back. One of them was uh, a yes. 
<laughs> so I interviewed my very first formal interview, which was with Neil Adams, a, a British judo champion, or a brute judo champion. And from there, I was off. I haven't written a letter since because once these top achievers realise why I'm doing this research, it's easier to get access to them. It, yeah, they refer me on because the question is designed to get people to open up and be honest. And people learn a lot about themselves by going through the interview process. Many of them have said that. I mean, having such a wide diversification of, of areas, like from sports people to top achievers to business people that you've interviewed, um, for the normal man or woman on the street who's perhaps listening to this right now, what is the common trait they all have? And is it just as simple as belief that they can do this thing, or is it a real shift in their whole psychology? If, there were, if I had to put it down as one trait, I would say it's that they are totally at ease with being themselves. They are not hung up on trying to please other people in the way they look, the way they think, the way they talk. They are absolutely congruent with who they are as a human being. You may see very, very eminent business people and they seem just as at ease talking to their boards of directors and high-powered businessmen and women as they are speaking to the cleaner in the corridor. That's because they, they don't have to try to be something that they're not. They don't, they're not trying to fit in. They are just themselves totally congruent with who they are. But also out of the research, there were lots and lots of other common threads that helped us distill information that now help people with the way top achievers and how anybody can set and achieve goals, how they can prevent stress, how they can speak in public more effectively. Emotional intelligence techniques that help people just let go of uh, anxiety and very limiting emotions and behaviours. So if somebody's in a position where they, they absolutely want to change, which is always a, a good starting point, how would they go about doing that? And, and would they, is the, the books out there or, or courses or seminars and things like that that they can attend to actually take the first step onto that road of self-discovery, I suppose? Indeed, yeah. There, there's a book just about to be launched, actually, on my goal-setting process developed from the research, uh, which clearly shows, and we've got... I think about six years now worth of testimonials from people who've been applying this model and achieved significant success as a direct result. Uh, we've got lots of courses, lots of open programs. We've got audio products that people can buy and people enjoy them because they're fun. I know that the goal setting workshop, I mean, the first time that I came across the work that you, you were doing was as a, remar a remarkable amount of work that you've done for charity. And use some of the um, the techniques that you apply and have, have, have taught to other people throughout your, your working life as this part of stretch development as you've changed from the catering business into that. Um, to actually raise phenomenal amounts of money in very short spaces of time, can you sort of tell listeners more about that whole principle as in why did you suddenly wake up one morning and decide to do that? And <laughs> how do you go about raising, um, at, well, you sort of, out, I know for a fact that you've outraised a couple of times Charities that have had 60, 70 people working schemes, you've only had perhaps two or three people, and yet you've generated more income Indeed. for them. So. The, I mean, again, I thank you for asking that, because I love telling this story, uh, because it, it conclusively proves, to me anyway, how anybody can achieve something significant by applying the goal-setting process that we deliver. Because I did, I'd, from the research, developed this goal-setting process, but because my terms of reference were, Dave, your average at best, I'd never achieved anything of massive significance before. I believed, well, 
okay, it's all right, top achievers are setting big goals, but what about average Joe here? Because I've got no terms of reference for it. But I thought, this model works. So many top achievers have told us this is what they do. Who's right? So I thought, what can I apply this goal-setting process to to determine whether or not it works? And I don't know about you, but if you've ever done any kind of charity fundraising before, it's hard work. It's hell on toast. It's, it's our normal British reserve gets in the way of, A, asking for people to sponsor you, and then when you've done an event or an activity, then going up to them and asking them to pony up the dough, that, again, is quite challenging to most people. And so my terms of reference for fundraising was, I think, when I was in the Scouts, I think I raised about £65 on a sponsored walk once. And so I thought, let's see if I can apply this to fundraising. So I went along to a charity based in Birmingham in the West Midlands here in the United Kingdom. The charity was called CRAB, C-R-A-B, stood for Cancer Research at Birmingham. I've always said it was a good job it wasn't based in Preston. It would have been a very different appeal <laughs> altogether. And the CRAB appeal was part of Cancer Research UK, the biggest national charity for cancer studies in Britain. And... I went along to the Crab Appeal, who were made up of about seven local businessmen and women who gave their time freely to raise awareness of cancer research and raise money for the Cancer Studies Institute at Birmingham University. And I went to them and I said, ladies and gentlemen, I've interviewed a lot of top achievers. They've told me how they set and achieve goals. I've developed this model that helps people to apply those principles. I've never fundraised before. I've only got my spare time because I run a very busy business. I'm on my own and I'd like to raise £50,000 in one event for cancer research. And very naively, I thought they'd say, Dave, great, you're the man, come on in, let me buy you a drink, tell us all about it. With hindsight, quite rightly, what they said was, who the hell do you think you are? You're on your own, you're in your spare time, you've never fundraised before, you're using a model that's not been proven, and you want to break our fundraising record. They said, the seven of us, it took six months of our spare time to organise our single largest fundraising activity, and that netted 48,000. With respect, David, and we all know what it means when people say it like that, with respect, David, what makes you think you can raise 50? Thank you for showing an interest in cancer research. Goodbye. And have you ever had a moment where just one person believes in you? And it just changes your mindset. You go from dragging your ego on a, on a, in a bag on the floor behind you to going, right, over my dead body, this is going to work. Well, as I was being escorted out of the room, the treasurer of the crab appeal put his hand on my shoulder and said, David, I think it will happen. Tell me more. And that was it. That's all I needed to know. One person believed in it. So I took this man for a drink. We sat down and using this model... We did not break Cancer Research UK's, or the Crab Appeal, sorry, fundraising record. We didn't raise £50,000. We smashed Cancer Research UK's full-time fundraising team's record. We actually raised, in one event, £288,000. Not only that, but we had a ball doing it. We gave about 80 people the experience of a lifetime trekking along the Great Wall of China in return for raising all that money. And we raised more publicity and awareness than any single event has done for the Crab Appeal, either then or since. So is that uh, another thing that sort of is, is you're really passionate about then, is raising money for charity? I mean, do you, do you help um, people raise money for different charities as well as, as well as cancer appeals? 
Indeed, uh, we've subsequently used the model now to break the records of four other charities. Uh, I, I can't remember how much we've raised actually over the last six years, but it's many hundreds of thousands of pounds just by helping charities to think and behave differently. And whilst I have to be honest and say it originally was not a great scheme or plan of mine to raise lots of money for charity, I just find that it's a very good proving ground for the model. Um, if you can get somebody who's never raised a bean in their life, and we've done this countless times now, and teach people how to raise £10,000 inside 8 or 12 months, and having fun doing it, and that's the message, have fun doing it, people change their perceptions of what they're capable of. Yeah. So what is the actual next logical step for your company at the moment? I know you're doing public speaking all over the world now. Um, what is the next logical step for, for that? Is that to expand again, to continue with the research, or is that to develop um, more courses and, and open days and things like that for people to attend? I'd like a Bond film to be made about me. I want to be the villain who's trying to take over the world. My, my, my purpose now for stretch development is to get this goal-setting process and the other methods and thought processes of top achievers into every school in the country, Europe, and then the world. Simple as that. Is that what the White Cat's for? Indeed. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks very much, David Heine. Pleasure. Thank you. Well, thank you, Carl. Thank you, David, for that. I think that was uh, really insightful about sort of mental attitude and the, the way that people uh, succeed in business. And I think anyone starting up a business will normally have a very positive attitude about how they're going to achieve what they're setting out to achieve. But inevitably, with the, the, the slings and arrows of fate, it becomes sometimes quite difficult. So maintaining the, the, the rigorous sort of exercise and mental discipline of, of keeping positive is actually very important. And, and I think that's part of the skill of small business owners is the way that they can adapt and survive mentally and in business terms. So um, interesting stuff there. Thank you very much, David and Carl. Now, Carl, I know, has also lined up a, a, a further interview, uh, which we will definitely be, be podcasting uh, in a few weeks' time. So thanks a lot, Carl. And if anyone else wants to uh, take on the challenge of being a small biz pod roving reporter, I'd be more than happy to uh, consider your submissions so do email them across uh, as the uh, same email address uh, alex at smallbizpod.co.uk as for all comments so if you've got an audio comment or if you just have uh, an email um, please send something through so be great to hear from you great to still know that you're out there and listening all few of you that are left now on to my choice of music for this week which I know uh, lots of people look forward to I've been doing a few mixes, actually, for Electromancer.com, which is one of my favourite, in fact, probably the favourite Podsafe Music uh, site on the web for me in terms of a sort of electronica and alternative music. Um, this week, I've chosen something a little bit different, really because I just absolutely love this song. I just think it's really, really brilliant. It's called On the Shore by The Great Design.
That be.